welcome to the Fun and Chatter. I'm producer Dave and we're joined by our usual co-host Amanda Carlin. Hello producer Dave. Hello Amanda. Today is Monday the 11th of May 2020 and this is episode 18. We're getting getting quite a few few episodes now. We've done really well. We have, haven't we? To keep going, very tall. Yeah. <laughs> so, how are you? How was your weekend? Your your VE weekend. VE weekend was wonderful. It really was. People really joined in, and uh, you could hear music and see people enjoying themselves. It was really emotional at 11 o'clock when we did the two-minute silence. I actually had a a few tears. My husband and I did things a little bit differently Mm -hmm. in that at 11 o'clock, we'd got, you know how you get the poppy crosses with the poppies on for remembrance that you can put into the ground? So, So we'd got some and we put those into the ground at the front of the house and we got some poppies to scatter, and we scattered those, but then had the two-minute silence. It was, I don't know why it was so emotional, and I've never had tears in a two-minute silence before. Mm. I've always reflected, yeah, but I, I, was, I was tearful. And um, it, it soon passed, because it was a lovely thing, and then... Um, we put our bunting out after the two-minute silence. We waited. Yeah. Um, and at, I think quarter to three, we were out the front and we got our tables up. And uh, <laughs> I've got... <laughs> I'd got some wine and Craig had got some beer and I've got this I've got this wine cooler. It's a Union Jack wine cooler. So um, that was nice. And as people were walking by, they did stop and chat. Yeah. But we all kept the two metres distance. That was fine. Um, my niece and her boyfriend walked past as well. So that was lovely. That's good. Yes. Um, and then uh, it was the national anthem at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then we stayed out the front until four o'clock. But we did a barbecue in the back garden. Yeah. We, I don't know why. I think I don't think I'm a prude, but it feels wrong to eat in the front garden. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yes, I can imagine it it feels a bit weird with people just walking past looking at you. Yeah, it just didn't feel right but to sit and to just have a drink and pass the day and People watch for a mm. bit. It was fine. Mm. Yeah, it's good. What about you, David? Did you have any? Because you were working so hard. Yeah, I've, I, I, I had Saturday off. Um, yeah, I had to finish off the the show on on the Friday, so it kind of vetted into a lot of the the sort of the, the activities in the morning. One of the problems is that we don't have a front garden. You know, no. right on the main street, so we're kind of very limited about what you can do in on the front. Um, you know, you can sort of stick your head out and look at people, and then shut the door again. You kind of, you're kind of very limited of what what we can actually do. So you just tend to stay in the, the back garden anyway. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I think we did more um, did more of the relaxing on the Saturday. Um, yeah. Yesterday I was doing uh, editing the interviews for this week, so kind of <laughs> I had half a day on Friday, so I made the most of it. Uh, well, I think that's actually good for you, because because you are a bit of a workaholic, aren't you? Yes and no. It's just I just don't like doing nothing. I I cannot I, mean I cannot just positive. sit in. Sorry. I mean it positively, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> no, I just I just find that I just can't sit and do nothing. I have to do something, and um, um, I think because obviously we knew knew that there was a lot to do this week because it's the the last week, um, so I wanted to make sure that we had everything all ready, uh, by the end of the week because obviously then once it's done, that's it. Yes. Yeah, that's true. So, and there's obviously with with work as well. I had a, a couple of customers that wanted stuff. Um, I'd got this the art tutorial um, that needs to be out yes. as well. So there was that doing. Um, had a few technical issues with that, so that sort of took longer than expected. And um, because it's the um, the art journaling course is out every Monday. So we're actually doing it on a week by week basis. So it's been filmed, edited, and then put out within a seven day seven day period and it's got to go through all the different stages to get to that point before it's released so everything is quite time critical so i've got to do my bit in the chain before it hands over to other people to do their bit and stuff mm. so it's, um so when you get computer errors halfway through and you've got to start again it's uh, it's quite frustrating when you you know you've you've only got so much time to do it yeah that's that's tough actually it's out of your control as well isn't it when things like that go wrong i think just thinking back i think the longest i've ever had to um have a computer working on a on a program on a show was about 13 hours fortunately it worked but just every once in a while the software just has a has a glitch and, and falls over and goes yeah error start again <laughs> yeah you've got one minute to go yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've been fortunate. You know, this is this show has been quite uh, smooth when it's come to to editing to get it out. the The biggest problem we've had is is the internet. That's been the real bugbear. Is how slow the internet's been, um, and seems to have be been progressively slower. Yeah. Um, as as the lockdown has gone on. Which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So when we started off, I think I was getting about 10 o'clock, 9, 10 o'clock. I was getting everything done. You know, now it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, that that's had such a dramatic... Because obviously I'm getting files from you, I'm downloading from other places as well. Uh, so, you know, all the all the elements are, are slower, all the different stages, so it has a, a knock-on effect. So it, it mm. really pushes the, the end, the publish time back quite considerably. Mm. Frustrating. You know, if people are interested, you know, we're talking about, you know, four, between four and eight gigabytes of uh, file sizes, you know, so they're, they're quite hefty, hefty sizes. Uh, so it does take a while. So, yeah, it's it, it's been a been a busy weekend. Um, and then we had all the, the news from from Downing Street to sort of take on board and absorb and stuff. So it's it's been it's been a busy few days. <laughs> 
Yes. Yes, it has indeed. <laughs> but um, on a on a good on a positive note, I've uh, found out that we're uh, eligible for next year's podcast awards. So uh, <laughs> you never know; we could be in <laughs> London at uh, some award, a glittery award, with um, getting getting something for for all our hard work. You know, you never know. It's always a laugh. Will there be a red carpet? I think there'll be a red carpet. It'll be. We'll all be in dresses and. Can I wear sequins? You can, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> I mean, I doubt very much, but hey, you know, you never know, dear. You? you never know what's no. What um, no. what the judges are looking for, so it's worth it. Worth a go. And my hair, my hair will be done. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we should uh, should should have access to hairdressers by then. <laughs> Yes, it'd be great. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's something to look forward to, and it's uh, you know you, you do all this this work, and you think, oh, okay, it's, well, we'll we'll submit it anyway. Yeah, and there's then, no harm in trying. Yeah, and maybe we'll do a review or do do an update next year if we if we get anywhere. <laughs> that would be good. And there's a public vote as well, so of course we'll have to do a pub. A, um, a podcast to promote the fact that if we do get through to that, that people have to vote for us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's next year. Well, it's, so we'll get five votes then, yeah, David. We'll it, get five votes. <laughs> we will. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you compare about some of the the production of the some of the other podcasts. I mean, I know that we're nowhere in the same league as them, but we don't have we. I don't think they have the same restrictions as us. Oh. And yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how we get on. Um. So in that case, shall we shall we go on to the news? Yes. What a good idea. Seeing as we have <laughs> such a a big story. Um. Yeah. The uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the start of the exit plan that they've been talking about. Everyone's been demanding something, so they have released an exit strategy, and now everyone's complaining about it because yeah. we've given them one and they don't know how to understand it. Um, so what we've done is we've uh, printed off the BBC's list of... Um, elements within that and we'll just go through some of them I mean, most of them are fairly straightforward um, so the main the main point is can more people go back to work so from Wednesday not not today because it has been uh, amended because it was thought that this would come into effect today but it hasn't so it says from Wednesday people in England uh, who can't work at home uh, are, will be actively encouraged to go back to work uh, but they should still avoid public transport if possible because of social distancing and uh, the government said it's working on guidance for employers to make workplaces uh, COVID secure as well. Yes so David this point about public transport yeah with public transport, it's really important that key workers are able to 
use public transport before anybody else, really. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, that would make sense. Um, after seeing all the photos this morning that were published where the, the underground is just absolutely packed. I mean, it was it looked exactly the same as it was before the lockdown. Um, so, yeah, maybe some kind of restrictions over key workers. They have access. But I don't know how you can control mass public transport. Well, they're managing to do it abroad. When you have a look at train stations, you, you can see they've got the spacing already set out on the platforms so people move forward, move forward, and then they board. Um, but then how do you get around the, the spacings on, on board the trains? They're going to have to make sure it's all set out properly. But the problem is, with London Transport already opening up the underground, they can only do that overnight, can't they? Mm. Make, make sure that all the spacing is clear to everybody. Yeah, they've not had time to make any adjustments to all the no. hundreds of trains that they've got running on the on the lines. Can you imagine being on one of those trains this morning? I think... I don't understand why everyone decided to go in this morning. Because surely the the bosses would have had to be notified. You couldn't have gone through the HR process of recalling everybody within 12 hours. Mm. And made sure then that the, the places of work are fit, I'd say, covid um, COVID secure so there's, oh. there's no elements of, of that um, so who who is actually going to work and are they why are they going back in I mean, it's it's difficult to actually work out who it's actually affecting and who's actually t um, taking advantage of it and who's are, are, is everybody that's going in have a necessity to go back in oh. Um, or people just wanting to go, oh, well, we're bored, so we're just going to go back to yeah. work because it, it's different from working at home. You, you've got to look at lots of different aspects of what's going on. They're all very good questions. They're not ones we can answer. No. Um, I mean, personally, I mean, I've I've got a job um, on Saturday and I must admit I was a bit dubious about whether to actually go because it involves being outside and working with other people. But we've actually done it in such a way that no one will actually meet up. So we'll all be completely isolated and separate, but we'll all be working together, um, working around each other. Um, but obviously now with the, the new restrictions, because that's something that can't be done from home, it has to be done on location, but with obviously with um, social distancing in mind. So it's kind of a weight of my mind because I know I can, we can go and do go ahead and do this job, but we'll have to do it sensibly yeah. and make sure we take all the proper precautions. You won't be breaking any rules. Exactly, yeah. So I don't have to worry about, you know, oh, what if someone sees me? You know, and that is quite a big concern as well. You know, that, you know, when it's locked down, but you're obviously still working and you've got to take on work, but and customers are, are, are adamant they want work, you know, adamant that they want products um it, it's difficult when you're in a climate where you have to take 
you know, I'm not furloughed. I've got nothing, no other sort of other com- income coming in. And someone says, will you do some work? It's very difficult to say, oh, no, no, please don't. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it was kind of on hold, kind of we were reviewing the situation and we knew something was, was coming up. So it was a case of, right, now the new regulations come in, can we can it fit within work within the, the guidelines that have been issued? And we think it can. Well, here's the thing, David, even prior to the government statement last night and whatever the statement will be on Wednesday, if you couldn't work from home, you could still go to work. Yeah. So actually, nothing's changed from from what was said yesterday. Nothing has changed. There was no announcement about garden centres being opened. Uh, there has been talk about it. I don't know. It was no direct been thing. It, yeah, it but has it, come up. Yeah apparently that will be made clear on wednesday yeah but i actually expected there to be a statement yesterday about that because we have got the diy centers open haven't we we have yeah i thought that would be there somewhere well only some of them are open and and that was part part of the trial just to make sure and there were lots of restrictions about who can and can't go and the trial that's interesting. You know how you said about Greg's doing a trial and they yeah. couldn't... Interesting. Did you know... I think I might have said this already. KFC, they've got their drive throughs open, some of them, have Some of them, they? yeah. There was a discarded KFC box on the verge. Yeah, that, that brings on the bio, biohazard issues. Yes. And that's that's where a lot of the issues are going to be with um, litter recovery now. Yes, that all people who are working in the um, the cleanup crews and stuff they're going to have to have full P- PPE as well if they're going around cleaning up all the verges and and removing litter. You don't know, so that that's something that needs to be taken into consideration by the councils as well. That's doesn't it? It does, but that's one thing. I haven't missed. Mm. The place has been tidier. I mean, pollution levels and and um, litter on the whole has been down considerably. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, and it's been nice. <laughs> yeah, it has. <laughs> it has been a nice change, and the cl- yeah. the sky's so clear as well. I mean, it's if you just go out at night time and and you look at the sky when it's been clear, it's just this the stars are just so bright. I mean, it's so noticeable how different it is. Um, so it'd be nice if we could keep that, but I doubt that lasts very long. Um, okay, so what they're going to do is they're going to produce a 50-page document on Wednesday outlining all the companies that are affected or the types of businesses that are affected or can be um, unlocked as well. Um, so obviously more information is to follow. Um, regarding schools and universities, they've said that just for England, uh, that they're looking at possibly reopening in stages, uh, but not until the 1st of June at the earliest. Uh, they're talking about uh, reception year, year one and year six to go back. And I'm assuming that's partly because of uh, exams 
and any of those that are actually transitioning between schools as well so they've got the process of um, being with their classmates as they go to the next schools absolutely and the year six pupils that makes sense to me they're also mature enough to understand the severity of the lockdown and what it all means yeah but year one and reception children What's the first thing they're going to do when they see their friends? They're going to run up to them and give them a hug. Yeah, it, it is How difficult. That? Yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. I mean, unless oh. they they separate the kids into smaller groups um, over a couple of classrooms, so you have a smaller element. So that, just so that, yeah, I, I don't know that. I know that there are talks uh, going to be carried on with the schools now uh, to try and work out the best way to do it. But at least then they've they've got that element of um bringing it back but they've already been working with the schools have already been open for the last several weeks anyway by looking after the kids the school the the key worker kids anyway so you've got a lot of kids who are already able who know exactly what's going on so i think maybe utilizing them to sort of um, mind the, the younger ones as they're coming in and just sort of helping reinforce and say look you know th- this is, these are the rules this is what we're doing this is how we do it you know sort of like a buddy buddy system or something like that but it is a lot for a four-year-old it is and it is difficult but, yeah and i know sort of listening this morning they're, they're talking about well the, you know the parents are going to have to be taking the kids to school so you know, that depends on whether they're allowed out because not all parents are able to. Then they're going to be congregating outside the school, so you're going to have people mix in, so you're going to have to separate that. So, yeah, there's, it's going to be difficult. There, there are going to be a lot of issues, even just that in that one process, there's going to be a lot of um, issues just trying to find the best way to move forward. Yeah, yeah, but I know a lot of, you know, say, they were interviewing a lot of kids, and a lot of kids want to go. And it's the parents that are saying no. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a difficult time. A lot of, but you've got to do something, and that's the problem. You end up you either stay locked down for too long, and then you have problems. And if you open de- too too soon, you have problems, but you have a different set of problems. So it's a, it's a mess, whatever way you do it, and it's not a good time. I mean, there's no point portioning blame because it's a situation that's not going to resolve. There is no right way of doing this. It's going to impact society one way or the other. You know, you do one thing, you will get an outcome. You do it in another way, you'll get a different outcome. But each one could be equally as bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's. It, um yeah it's yeah it, it's a difficult one um yeah we'll see the, the main focus on the on the teaching getting the pupils back so it says that at least they've got some time before the summer um because obviously they've moved the exams back haven't they so yeah at least then they've got um a chance to sort of go through last minute revision and stuff before they actually sit the exams uh, I think most of the other countries are all in in Britain are all on the same line of uh, no schools back before the first of June. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they're talking about um, just following that sort of limiting class sizes. They're talking about groups attending on different days, which is something that we've talked about before. Uh, redesigning classrooms um, and staggering break times as well. Mm -hmm. So, and and those those steps all make sense for an older child yeah. because they can fully cope with that. Yeah. It is the young ones that is going to be difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, d I don't know how how are you going to do it. But then qu kids can be quite resilient. I think sometimes we do underestimate what children can understand and what they can do. That's true. You know, we, can't, we can't just assume that all kids are, are, are not capable of, of handling. I mean, yes, there are some who have, um, have some issues and are are not able to um, to follow instructions, but there are the majority. That's a shame because that's the, the majority will probably just get on and, and do what they're, they're asked to do anyway without any problems. So I think part of the issues is adults not um, giving the children a chance to actually show that they can actually do it because mm -hmm. kids are smart. Oh, they're super smart, <laughs> aren't they? They are. Look at an 18-month-old with an iPad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next bit is about meeting friends and relatives. Um, new guidelines are saying that two people from two different from different households would be able to meet outdoors uh, in a park as long as they adhere to two meters apart. So that that's being clarified because it wasn't made clear yesterday but they've said you know you can have two people from two different households together um, that can meet up in a public place as long as they are um, socially distancing so as long as it's not a group of three or more or yeah but how is that different to what's happened already I mean people haven't specifically hopefully at least gone out and met people purposefully from other households but we, know, um, but we know they have been. Exactly. When I walk along with my husband and I see family members, we we are standing two metres apart, but we are speaking to each other. And, you know, after you do your clap for carers, speak to the neighbours. Yeah. We've got the distance. I don't see that it's any different than it already is at the moment. Yeah. As long as people are sensible about it, and and it's just as long as there aren't mass gatherings, then then it's fine. I mean, we'll we'll point out that uh, they will be increasing the the fines uh, for people who are breaking down, breaking the um, the the restrictions. That's uh, a good point. Uh, let's see, so. Um, yeah, so from Wednesday, people in England will be able to spend more time outdoors for, for leisure purposes. Um, the emphasis on, on spending more time out um, as opposed to just exercising. So it's more, more slightly more relaxed. Um, so they can take even more unlimited amounts of exercise, outdoor exercise rather than just once a day. Um, and they are saying that people can sit in parks and play sports with members of their house the same household so as a family unit if you all live together then you can go and play in the park as long as you're not running around excessively and interfering with other groups and stuff 
Yes. Well, again, when people have been on their daily exercise, they have been allowed to sit already part way through that, haven't they? They they've had, yeah. If they were to have a a, a break within their routine as long as it's not just going to sit in a park for a period of time so that the the activity had to outweigh the length of time that they were resting um you can't couldn't just go and sit on a on a bench and, and sunbathe uh whereas now that is being um relaxed and that they are able to do that um and and the virus doesn't spread as much outside, apparently, does it? It still does. I think because they've, they've shown... If you touch, if you touch somebody. It can be airborne as well. If you, you yeah. cough and sneeze and you're still within a proximity, depending on the way the wind or the air is moving, then it can still pass. Yeah, so... But, yeah, you've still got to... If it's people from outside your your household then obviously you need to keep distancing and keep your, your two meters distance uh, yes. must, must be followed yes um the culture secretary have said that sports like golf basketball tennis uh fishing will now be possible for people in the same household because i That's suppose that uh, most of them are all non-contact anyway yeah yeah that is good. Um, I've heard that in America they've they've started ultimate cage fighting. They've been given the go ahead to go and <laughs> or extreme extreme fighting. Um, yeah, you, you, you know see why? Yeah. You know why that is? Donald Trump likes. He does, yeah. All the wrestling, doesn't mm. he, and what have you? Yep. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As long as they wear masks, they'll be fine. Um, but that's America, that's not here. Um, okay. yeah. Right, so we also have the introduction of a, a new scaling system. Now, the, people are sort of looking at it going, oh, I don't understand, but actually this is the same. It's very similar to the um, the te terrorism scales yeah. and the, the UK defence scales, um, yeah. which are... I think there are have three or four levels off the top of my head. I can't remember now. Um, you know, so it still works in the same way. You depending on the level of threat, um, whether it's a cyber threat or a, a physical threat from terrorism. You know, you have a low level and you have a high level, and it fluctuates between them, and you you adjust accordingly. So this new system um, for COVID alert between one and five, it's exactly the same system, and you just have to respond the same way. So it, it it's not it's not difficult. It's just getting used to a, a new a new system. Ooh. But it's stuff that we're doing already. So um. I I think that was interesting the way Boris was showing it yesterday because he wanted to say we were at level three, but we're not yet. No, are we? So the majority are still sort of borderline four. Yeah. I think it's very. Um, it really depends on which area you are in the UK as to where it is. I think some areas are within the three, some are within the four, and um, yeah, there's 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 fluctuations. 
so what we have next is obviously they, they need to garden centres in Wales will remain will open on Monday are they? yep oh right okay Des interesting decisions are awaited in Scotland and Northern Ireland uh, John Boris Johnson made no mention of garden centres in England so that's obviously no. to wait until Wednesday uh, some DIY stores meanwhile have already opened Mm -hmm. uh, but they're accepting credit card payments only and have shorter trading hours. So I think they're just on Sunday Sunday hours at the moment. Right. Um, so what does it mean for pubs and cafes, restaurants, theatres and cinemas? Uh, the government's hope is to reopen at least some of the hospitality industry and other public places in England. But this will happen later rather for shops and schools by July at the earliest so basically yes. anything like that they would reassess um, after the three weeks so I guess um, mm -hmm. they'll reassess in June and, and then decide in July as well I think that's sensible uh, it is I say a lot mm -hmm. of it will come from scientific advice um, and obviously yeah. they'll see how people are um, behaving because obviously I did like the sort of the, the strategy you know they're saying the way that the the sort of phase one phase two phase three you know it's quite clear you know if everything goes according to plan we do this and then if we reach this level then we do this so at least mm -hmm. you can you've got an idea of going of how things go and you can't put dates and times on it because it all depends on how people be react if everybody goes nuts today as we're going to see we could end up with another spike within two weeks which will then completely blow everything out and if everyone's been crammed on tube trains we're going to get another rise in london and to be yeah. honest I'm, I'm now expecting to see a rise in cases and deaths in in london now yeah, um, yeah. me too unfortunately i i was shocked by it it's distressing it is yeah. i mean it can't be pleasant for for people already on there when it must be you know if you got on and it's quiet and you think okay yeah. it's fairly quiet i'm I'm distancing right I'm, i've got this handled and then the next stop some people get in the next stop people get in the next bit so yeah. by the time you're actually in the center of london you've got a packed carriage and you can't move and you can't get out that must be actually terrifying it must you, be because if you thought um that you were in for a, a quiet ride mm. um especially if you're a key worker as well and you thought oh, mm. i'm just you know i'm off to work as normal and then just to have thousands of other people descending it uh, i can imagine it's going to be absolutely traumatic for a lot of people mm. Um, mm. absolutely yeah. It's it's terrible. I mean it's, um, I mean, it's just terrible. little things like you know if you're on the underground and then you come off and you've you've coughed or whatever and then you're then touching the handrails, mm. you know, and, and someone else then touches the handrails mm. and then, so you've got transmission in all sorts of places. It's it's horrific, but here's here's the rub: people 
are in a situation I can imagine it's really bad in London because of the cost of living, for example. Yeah. Where they are so worried about where their next meal's coming from. Well, yeah, you we, know, we talked about this with the, the, the homeless, the, the ones who have been there. We did. Yeah. So it's a case of do I pay my rent? Do I put food on the table? Or do I save my life? Yeah. Or, or I mean, it's horrible, isn't it? A lot of people might be in catch twenty-two, or feel that they're in a catch twenty-two. I mean, it, yes. When when you have no end to this, it is difficult. Um. I I mean, this is just a, a small thing. I mean, when when all this lockdown happened, I mean, and I lost all all my employees. I thought hindsight i could have taken those couple of weeks and had a holiday knowing that all the customers are going to come back but i didn't know that you know so i ended up carrying working really hard and now all the customers have come back so now i'm thinking why well, i need to take some time off which is one of the reasons why we're stopping this but i couldn't afford to not take time off because i didn't know what was going to happen and that's that's the problem is that you just don't know how this is going to behave you don't know no. where the jobs are going to come from, whether there's going to be whether there's going to be customers at all, mm. and depending on what kind of business you're in, it, it can it can be absolutely devastated, or you can have people um, lining up because you know they need to get moving. What what has interested me? Um, I've done some done some looking at the cost of adverts on yes. television because i just wanted to know in case you know any customers wanted to to do to pitch an idea and surprisingly it's actually quite cheap in some exactly. of the some of the, the the channels you know for for one advert it can be sort of tens of pounds and then in some places some channels it can be hundreds of pounds and then you've got obviously peak time like the main the main channels peak time it can be like ten thousand pounds twenty thousand pounds per advert during um, the the prime times and it's quite interesting looking at those that are advertising now the one thing I have noticed is is that an awful lot of charity um, adverts are on during the peak time yes and I'm thinking. I know how much you're charging or paying yeah. for these things. And it's like, you know, one, one aspect, the, the charities are going, oh, we've got no money. Can you give us help to bail us out or to help us go? And, but then you're still paying £30,000 per advert to get people to pay. And these are adverts on prime time on, you know, these, these channels. And I'm like, hang on, where's you? You could... Do an advertising campaign on other channels at a fraction of the price, or you could use that money for the for looking after the staff and the. Um, yeah, it, it, it's 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 a it's a bit of an odd. That's fascinating, actually, David. I have to say, it's not something I've thought about. There are a lot of charities. They'll say, "Just pay two pounds." to save the donkeys and the bears and yeah. all sorts and um, help the NSPCC my goodness and and charities 
have recently been in the news, haven't they? Yeah. You know, for behaving inappropriately. Oh, they do, they do need to get these policies right because people know what they're talking about. You know, it's, I hadn't even thought of that one. Yeah. It was just an interesting, it was just an observation. I just suddenly saw this advert and I thought, yeah, I wonder. So having already gone through all the, the advertising, because I was yeah. just quite interested. I was like, oh, I mean, the actual, the cost of making an advert can be quite expensive, but the actual airing of the advert, I think it's like, just for example, I think something like if you go onto Discovery Channel, uh, middle of the day, it costs you about 10 quid. But obviously, you're not going to have just one advert. You're going to run a series of adverts. But Mm. at a unit cost, it costs you about... And then, you know, I think it was like on Dave or UK Gold or something like that. Then you're talking about two or three hundred pounds. And then you start working your way up to the the mainstream, the the bigger channels, and and the costs go up. Oh, dear. They, They are good adverts, a lot of them, though. They do get you thinking, don't they? There are some, and they've brought out back a lot of the old adverts as well. Yeah. I've just seen a certain. I've got to say, it's Budweiser. It's it's a Budweiser. It's the one with the. Um, What's that? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> the, the three guys all on the couches drinking, you know, having a bird. And it is, it's, but they've modified it to you know being in being in lockdown and stuff. So it, it, it's it's amusing. It's. Um, <laughs> It's it's nice use of creativity to um, bring a message, but using um, something that is already iconic in its own um, in its own right. Oh, that's brilliant! I haven't seen it yet. I look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some uh, there are some very good adverts out there at the moment. There are, and. I do think we should support charities if we can, but they do need to be more sensible. I agree with you. I think, yeah, it it it's just because the that's the bit that's irked is the fact that they've gone around and saying, "Oh, we've got no money. Give us lots of money to to bail us out." But on the same <laughs> the same week, they're then pushing out thousand pounds, tens of thousands, or hundred thousand pounds of advertising campaigns. Yeah. And you're thinking, does that nearly really need to be happening right now? Or could you have done yeah. that cheaper or could you have done it in a different way? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's everything other than airports. But to be honest, I think that's, um, I don't think that's really going to affect anyone for, for the next few weeks anyway. But they are changing how they're, how they're handling air flights at airports. But I do find that interesting, that the guidelines are for airports, but not ferry ports or um, train stations or any other way we can get in and out of the country. Mm. That's, That's bizarre to me, because whatever they do at an airport, there are loopholes or other ways you can get into the country to yeah. avoid going into quarantine it should be a 360 degree approach shouldn't it yeah 
Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, it, you can get into the UK by lots of different means. Lots of ways, yeah. And and actually, David, I didn't realise until the weekend that UK nationals weren't being asked to quarantine. Or not UK nationals. But I people com- coming back people into the country. People coming into the country, yeah. yes. And I that's... thought they were. No, I knew that that was something that they'd they'd relaxed and actually stopped doing, and I'd I'd been following that from um, various people who had come in and they said like no, some of them had been given a leaflet, and that was all that they've been given. Uh, there has been no isolation. I know in China, you know, they they get taken away and they get isolated for two weeks before, um, yeah, because they were deadly serious about it. Yeah, and Australia. I I know that happened. You know, when um, my sister came back from Cyprus, Mm. they were all tested before they boarded the aeroplane. So everybody on board was COVID-free, but they had social distancing on board still, the aircraft. Yeah, but there's still a lot of mixed mixed feelings about um, being on board planes. Uh, and probably underground trains as well, the, because of the way that the um, certainly on the planes, the the air is recycled. Any any form of having lots of people in a confined space is not going to end well. Yes, absolutely. Regardless of of precautions, unless you give helmets and face masks and re- breathing apparatus to every single person on board there is going to be transmission somewhere. Hmm. It puts everybody in danger. It puts their staff in danger. It puts the passengers in danger. It puts the airport staff in danger. Yeah. Wrong. But, yeah, you, you, you get to the point where you've got to decide, well, what do we do? Where do we... How do we move forward? How do we... People start moving? Do Is there a need for, for moving so yeah, I can imagine it's it's not a decision I would like to make. No. Should we have the stats? Yes, that would be interesting. Thank you. Okay. Well, number of cases worldwide is now over four million. It's now four million two hundred thousand. Uh, number of UK cases as of yesterday is two hundred nineteen one hundred two hundred nineteen thousand one hundred eighty three. And the number of deaths is 31,855. So, although that was the smallest um, increase in deaths since March, I believe, in the 200s. But then we do get a dip over the weekends anyway. We'll see how it goes for the next few days. Um, Just for comparison, for stadium sizes, for to handle 31,000 you're looking at Molyneux Stadium for um, Wolverhampton for Wolverhampton Wanderers FC that's the size of the stadium we're now looking at that's amazing so we are now getting up into the into the premierships yeah it's 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 sad that that's that most of Europe are now just hanging their head in shame going like what's going on you know we we talked about this with Spain and Italy and like, you know, utter devastation of these countries. And yet we're just going, and people just don't seem to get it in this country that 
this shouldn't be happening. No, no. I mean, there I, are there are I, a lot of people who are generally upset and they're going, you know, why are we, why are we still doing this? Why are we not adhering? And you've got a lot of people who are just like not interested or or just yeah. completely oblivious to it. There, there are, we've discussed this as well, David. There are a lot of people believing wholeheartedly the conspiracy theories as well. Well, I, don't, I don't think I don't think it's even that. I think it's just, I mean, yes, there there are a number of people who who are, um, but even on a on a study, I think it's something like only thirty thirty percent of Americans believed in conspiracy theories. So that doesn't take into account the other sixty percent. No. Um, that's not my maths. It's it was thirty three percent and sixty six percent. So, but yeah, we're looking at. You know, we're looking at two thirds of of the people go, who don't believe in conspiracies. So, what do they believe in? I mean, is this just ignorance? Is this just a case of um, existential um, life that it's going to happen anyway, or, or whatever the term? Um, I can't remember the term. Is it someone that's fatalist? That's it, isn't it? Oh yeah, fatalist. Yeah. Someone who just believes, mm-hmm. well, it's just going to happen. And then you've got other people go just it it's not real and then you've got other people it's just but I need to work and it doesn't matter, we're all gonna go. You know, it's there's so many different um ideologies that are out there. You know, and it's sort of it'd be interesting to sort of get a, a, a survey on sort of like who what people believe as to why they then are going back to going out. And doing all the things that they shouldn't do, you know, what is the rationale? Yeah, yeah, it does make you wonder. What is interesting, though, that we were, we did have the third highest number of uh, cases in the world. Um, we're now back down to fourth. Okay, he's he's um, Russia. Is it Russia? Yeah. Russia has just gone straight up the the charts. Um they oh, still dear. only they still only have about 2000 deaths, but then their case rate is going up and increasing. You know, you you're looking at the curve and the curve is getting steeper and steeper as it as it goes on. Um and that will lead to a significant number of deaths to follow. Mm-hmm. That's inevitable. You know, they can't have that many and not have the, the repercussions. Um, or that's if they admit to the death. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, so it d- depends on how they how they um, handle the figures. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, um, they've just shot up. I was just looking at the last few days and, and it's just they've just jumped levels, you know, at a time. So that's that's something to worry about as well. Um, because they're either in Europe or the the fact that they're actually bordering with Europe. So even if the number of cases are, you know, it can have a, a, a knock on effect on on their their neighbours as well. Yes, yes, they cover such an expanse, don't they? Yeah. Mm. So I mean, that's that's always been the history when you're looking at pandemics and stuff. You will see one country will go up and then the next one goes up and the next one goes up. So it's it sort of spikes in different places at different times. Um 
So, yeah, we'll see how that... Well, we won't have because we, we won't follow it, but just out of interest, you know, if you if you want something to do, then just keep an eye on, on, on Russia. Most definitely. Yeah, that is interesting. And now we will find out what Doris is doing. <laughs> well, Doris... Doris hasn't got a message as such today. Is she not? She's just, no, she's saying she's thankful to everyone for drawing pictures of her, how they think she looks, and she's looking forward to seeing them all. Brilliant. And Gail's looking forward to judging them. Excellent. So we have made Doris's day. Brilliant. That's good news. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Next but is the our interview. Uh, we have an interview today. We have um, a lady called Tilly Rose who is a, a textile, textile artist, a um, yeah. media and textile artist. And we did a, a, I did an interview with her a couple of weeks ago. So we've now got the final interview, which will be played in whole tomorrow. Uh, but we will now hear a section of it about five ten minutes of it um just basically talking about one of her, her latest projects so we'll we'll hand it over to tilly now for her interview okay we have tilly rose on the line uh, who is a mixed media artist is that right hello there yes hello there uh yes so i'm a mixed media uh, textile artist and i'm a tutor um and i i'm also an author Okay, and and what can you tell us a little bit about your background? You know, sort of where is of is course, art yeah. art your your and textiles? Is that your main main projects? Your main sort of um, occupation? Yes, it is now. Um, I have a background in education, working with children with special needs, especially uh, visual impairments. Uh, but uh, fifteen years ago, um, I. Uh, sort of left that career and ventured more into the textiles um, and now I teach workshops all over the UK um, I, um, I've i done some TV work um, uh, in 2018 I brought out my first book which is called Stitched Memories and that's all around uh, telling stories really through cloth and thread um, capturing memories capturing everyday snippets of life um, in various textile projects and how you can put all your memorabilia that you have sort of thing, um, you know, hanging around the house and what have you, um, how they can be used and how important they are to capture all those beautiful oral stories um, that we take through our family history, really. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, are you, are you finding, have you, have you got a lot of work on? Uh, no, actually, my work... Um, so literally overnight, it kind of dried up completely overnight, and that was yeah. like 15 years' worth, you know, gone. Uh, so I've taken a couple of weeks to kind of, like everybody, kind of get into that flow pace um, and work out where we're going. And um, so I'm looking at different avenues, really. So, yes, work is kind of busy behind the scenes, but not necessarily as it was as such. So, yeah. Do you have any sort of any specific projects that you're working on um, sort of near future that you're sort of hoping to develop and uh, yes I do actually so um, when I came to Stony Camp and I brought my two mannequins yes I uh, remember them so you, 
Yeah. Yeah, they kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, really, in amongst the Romans, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so you, you know that I have um, a history, my family history. I can kind of, you know, trace it back to, you know, the 1700s, really. Uh, I haven't moved far. Wimbledon, Doddington, Maine, <laughs> you know, all, all around there. Um, so I've kind of got the friends in my DNA. Yeah. And um, over the years, I've... I've kind of, you know, all my projects and all my um, stories and things that I work on with workshops and stuff are based really um, from stories, you know, told by my family through, you know, oral stories, really, oral history. Mm. Um, so I, when I brought my book out, and my book is called Stitched Memories, and um, it's about telling stories with cloth and thread. It's about... Um, you know, capturing all those sort of um, little snippets of ordinary life that sometimes just go by, and we don't we don't pick up on that that they're actually the important parts. And through that, um, so a couple of years ago, I really started the idea of actually capturing um, the stories of a lot of the Fen workers, uh, mainly ladies who were in the textile connected to textiles i wanted listening to the stories of my aunts and my nan and you know cousins and second cousins and, and, and what have you um i wanted to capture all those ordinary stories that um people would be making things for their house or their home or they were paid as um extra money for home working maybe mm. lace making and you know anything like that to to earn a few extra pennies for the family yeah or how they decorated and and almost the, the oral stories that their families had going back in generations um, and I know I sort of spoke to Amanda you know we've had a keen passion for that for a, a long time now and then talking to other people and I thought how can I capture all of that um, and obviously I love writing so I, I really the, the end result is putting it all in a book but before that I wanted to somehow capture that in my type of work, my textile work. So um, I actually have got down to, um, I make lots of stitch wraps and textile wraps, and that's just long lengths of cloth. Um, so it's like a visual diary. Um, and I thought, right, this is the time. I've got some time for me where I can't do as much work as I want to do, you know. And all the research that I've been doing on the fens all over the last 10, 15 years or so, all my little scribbles in my notes and my books and all the books I've got, you know, collected. Um, so I'm actually creating a stitch wrap of um, textiles in the fens and East Anglia and how, how that kind of... Um, you know, it's gone through the centuries, really. And obviously, that's going to probably be a lifetime pro project, I would imagine. <laughs> I thought, well, I'll, I'll just do a few bits, you know, sort of Victorian going back a bit further. Well, I've gone right back to Stone Age, really. And that's yes. purely off that visit, you know, at Stony Camp and what have you. Uh, but I've been fascinated. And, and off that, it's like any story. I, it, you know, I don't know about you, but... If you get a group of people and somebody says something, you know, it goes off at a tangent and then somebody will add something else and you think, oh, well, I'll look into that and I'll look into that. And um, it's connecting all those Fenland threads um, in a little textile project. Mm. Um, and it's made me sit down. It's made me, you know, finally collect all those ideas into one little project. Um, 
but I actually thought while while people are sat at home, while people have got the time and probably do have some time on their hands, this is the ideal time to actually say, you know, if you have any memories of your mum or your gran or your aunt or whatever, um, who, you know, have grown up in the Fens and they've got that real history of the Fens, um, to capture people's thoughts while, you know, and put them into a project so that's my mission, really, <laughs> over the next however many months we're going to be in this situation. And then continue that when I when we do come out of um, the end of our tunnel, um, really continue that into a long-term project. So that's my aim, anyway. How far I'll get is, uh, we don't know. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, well, thank you very much, Tilly. All right, my darling. Thank so, you. Look... That's really good to talk. All right, talk to you soon. All right, then. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that's part of the Tilly Rose interview, and you'll be able to hear the rest of that tomorrow as a separate uh, podcast, uh, so you can enjoy that in a whole, which is a fantastic, uh, thoroughly worth listening to interview. Okay, next one, Life of Lockdown, mm-hmm. and our rural roundup. Um, do, do you, I think we're going to mix them together because we don't have much else. Um, no. That sounds like a good idea. Do you want me to start, David? Yeah, because I think you're the only one that's got got anything that's relevant today. Okay, thank you. Um, so, life in lockdown. Um, I have been speaking to companies that have applied for bounce-back loans. Oh, I am. And I thought I'd cover them just briefly. The best route for application is via the government gateway. Yeah where you'll find a list of banks administering um, the loans. Um, There are quite a few, apparently, I think about 15. Um, But the advice that I've been given from those that have applied is it's best to use the bank you bank with. Mm -hmm. And some of the banks will only administer if you do bank with them. I think NatWest is one that does that. Okay. Um, you're able to borrow from two thousand to £50,000, but no more than 25% of your annual income. So, again, it's a good idea to use your own bank because they'll be able to see 12 months' worth of income. The most, they've, the latest. they've got your financial history, so they'll see, yeah. Um. When you're applying, um, so what ha- I'm just I'm just reading my notes here. Um, okay, so you've got an initial statement to make. So some of the criteria is your business has to have been affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Yep. If you make an application and your business hasn't been impacted, and I can't imagine that anybody's business hasn't been in some way, um, then you you can't apply. So you send this statement off and then within 24 hours you get an application form sent to you from the bank that you've applied with yeah. through. And apparently it's three pages of A4. So the information that you need is fairly quite uh, straightforward. You do need your company number to hand and whoever is responsible for 
administering the bank account because they'll need to sign yeah. for it. Um, apparently, they've got some software set up where you actually sign on the screen. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, now, we already know that um, it, it's for 12 months free of charge. So interest-free loan, 12 yeah. months, no payback for 12 months. After that 12 months, you've got six years to pay back at 2.5% interest. So it's very low interest rate. It is, yeah. It's actually very low. Yeah. And would you believe it's guaranteed by the Exchequer? Okay. There are, uh, now, I have been told there's no credit um, scoring done with this these applications. All right, so it won't have an impact on your, your credit rating? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've got here, you may be eligible if you're a UK resident with a business or registered charity. Charities can apply for this as well Okay. in the UK. Your business was established before the 1st of March 2020. You can certify that your business has been adversely impacted by coronavirus or COVID-19. You're an existing business banking customer. Now, I am actually looking at NatWest page now. So that is NatWest criteria. Um, You won't be eligible if you already have a coronavirus large business interruption loan or the Bank of England's COVID corporate financing facility. Don't know about those. Um, You're a bank insurer, reinsurer, but not insurance broker, public sector body, further education establishment, if you're grant funded or state funded school. Um, And you won't be able to apply if your business is subject to collections or collective insolvency proceedings. Okay. So basically, if you're running a viable business, you can apply. Yep. Um, and it it does sound really favourable, doesn't it? Mm. Obviously, even though it's guaranteed by the Exchequer, your business is responsible for paying back the loan. Yeah, they're just underwriting it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then... Our rural roundup, um, recycling centres have opened today in Finland, but they are for essential items only that can't be stored at home. So you can't go down with all the rubbish that you've collected after clearing your home up because you've had time. <laughs> Not us, David. No. <laughs> um, So the guidelines are to wash hands before and after visits, as usual. A maximum of two adults outside the vehicle only. Um, On-site staff can't assist. And you can only have a limited number of vehicles allowed in at any one time. So there is traffic management going on. I was going to say that's going to have to be handled that way. Yes. And no vans or trailers requiring a permit are allowed. Um, please don't visit the site if anyone in your household is suffering from coronavirus or self-isolating. So if that applies to you, stay away, please. Okay. 
So where can they find those if they want to read read through those instructions? Um, that's a good question. Those um, instructions are available through Cambridgeshire County Council. So not FTC, so, it's Cambridgeshire. Not FTC, yeah. Okay. So their websites or social media pages. months or so if, if stuff comes up and there's a demand or there's there's uh, a need for it uh, so it won't disappear but uh, <laughs> so, but we will be around and, and hopefully we'll, we'll maybe utilize this to help other people other podcasters um, give yes. them a, 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 um, a leg up as well so so that's it so Thursday's show is pretty much going to be bring your own games. It's going to be like last day before school holidays. Um, it, I think it's going to be more reflective. I think it's going to be more about what we've done over the last few few weeks, um, just to see how things have changed. Um, you know, just sort of a comparison between where we were right at the beginning and where we are now, uh, and see how things have changed, how statistics have changed, um, how the how the um, Fennan district has changed as well. Yes. Yes. I, I imagine it has changed quite significantly for quite a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit, bit mixed, you know, happy to see it end in some respects, but also sad to see it end as well. Yeah, it's been quite a big part of our, our lives for the last few weeks. It has, hasn't it? It's been a good part. It has been. Mm -hmm. But as we were talking just before the show, that it can be quite um, grueling sometimes, just wading through pages and pages of such negativity on, on the press and the the, the websites, the, the media. You know, everything is just doom and gloom um, or a doom and gloom spin on things by um, by the media in some ways trying to make it seem worse than it actually is um you know if just if only the the media were keeping in line with the, the government's messages i think we Ooh. wouldn't have so much confusion but that's just my, <laughs> my that's my two cents worth i agree with you yeah so for i think for our own sanities we've decided to, to have a break <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. But there must be some element of it somewhere. Must be, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. That's I, the I, nicest I, thing anybody's ever said to me. 
Well, I think you know you do do feel sorry for the for the journalists that have to deal with this. You know, they've come off the back of Brexit, and then suddenly they're having to to cover cover all this. And as much as yes, they're actually paid to do this is their job and their vocation, and this is what they do. It's it's yeah. Even just sort of riding on the coattails of of that kind of um, group, you know, it, it's been tough. And we're only doing it a couple of times a week. You know, these these guys are doing it, you know, day in day out. Um, it, it must be tough for them, whatever, whether it's a war or whether it's, um, like I say, just the the COVID environment or just anything like this where it becomes very emotional and it, it affects people's lives. It can be quite traumatic for 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 journalists and news readers and stuff. Most definitely, most definitely. So yeah, it's tough old world. Yeah, but. Mm. We won't be gone. We'll we'll be back with something else. I'm sure we'll we'll certainly appear and raise our heads, and um, we'll we'll still have stuff going up onto uh, onto the group chat as well on on Facebook. So you know, don't don't stop joining the group, and we'll we'll keep putting stuff on and keep messaging out as well. And feel free to to <laughs> stick messages on there as well. Yes. Let us know how. It, let us know how you you think it, this all went, and some of your feedback and thoughts on on the show over the last few weeks so yes. so just like once again just thank everyone for for listening and watching and um, being part of all this and um, you know we couldn't have done it without the listeners so so have you got any last last words before we we end no i haven't i think you put that very nicely thank you <laughs> so it's uh, goodbye from me Goodbye, David. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody as well. <laughs>